So today, I don't know if you're like a bean counter or not, but we actually kind of moved things around with uh, worship. So I really felt the Lord wanted to do something with the message today. Not that he doesn't do it in other days, but I felt something special today uh, because we are closing up our sermon series on Paul. And I just believe we'll see what the Holy Spirit does that at the end, we'll, for those that want to uh, remain, we will continue in uh, a period of worship uh, and maybe impartation and prayer. Because as I was preparing this week, I just felt the Holy Ghost was, was really on this. And so what we have today uh, is the closing up of Paul. And obviously we could do a sermon series on Paul for many years, but this is like the official end, although we obviously will continue to be teaching about that. So it's uh, Rediscovering Paul has been the sermon series for our guests, and this last one is Paul's Farewell Address. And so let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. So we've been looking at uh, Paul and not just studying the scriptures that Paul writes, but also understanding the context and the history to have a better understanding of what Paul has been saying. And so finally, at last, this is Paul saying goodbye. This is Paul saying goodbye to his beloved friend, Timothy. And so let's read one portion and get into it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. <clears throat> and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid upon for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Hmm. So I don't know how many times you've read through uh, 2 Timothy, but um, I'm reading through this and, and I'm studying. And it actually dawned on me um, that through the commentaries that it is said by most scholars, if not all of them, that this is in fact Paul's last letter. And in fact, he most likely was writing this several weeks before he is uh, beheaded. Okay? So, it's a farewell address. It is, he knows what's about to happen, and he is now going to be saying his goodbyes uh, to Timothy. And just as a little forewarning, some of the stuff that we're, we're talking about is a little more intense, so just, you know, for the little ones, if they're, I'll give you a little bit of a, a heads up when we go from PG to PG-13. Yeah. If I forget, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, with this understanding, I, I reread 2 Timothy, and I'm thinking about this, I'm meditating this, and I was so emotionally like pulled into this. Uh, emotionally, spiritually, uh, I was just getting wrecked. It was like, holy cow, Paul is approaching his end. And as he's approaching his end, he feels the need to talk and to, to share one more time with his, his good friend Timothy. Um, we, we, even if you look at this, the, the text itself, you can kind of see that Paul is aware of what's happening. Um, in 2 Timothy, which I highly uh, encourage you to reread, he sends his greetings to some of his friends. There's almost like a, a goodbye nature to it. Um, he recounts portions of his ministry and reflects upon his life. Um, he is hopeful, but he really knows. Even the scripture verse that we just read, for I am being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I mean, it's like, he knows. Right? 
But he's hopeful. And there's kind of like this cute human moment of Paul where he goes to Timothy and says, can you come and see me before winter? It's almost like, can you see me one more time? When you do come, can you bring my cloak? Because it's cold. It's kind of like, I'm an old man. Can you bring my coat, my cloak? Can you bring uh, some of the scrolls, some of the, the scriptures so I can read them again? Can you bring some parchment so I can make some other additional writings? He's hopeful. And so it's a farewell address. It's, it's a parting. It's a goodbye. It's a, here's some motivation. And, and my question is unto you is what would you say in your farewell address? See, famous people have these farewell addresses, right? Presidents always give their farewell when they're leaving office. And in fact, if you, if you research, there are some famous people who have had some very weird and interesting last words before departing this earth. Probably, not probably, definitely the most epic and most powerful is, of course, Jesus' last words, his farewell address. It is finished. Amen. That's a farewell. Quote, unquote, farewell. You know what I'm saying. Obviously, he comes back. But it's like, it is finished. Like, that's what you say last. It's like, whoa. So these are, you know, the last words, public words that Paul is giving. And so I want to encourage you in this. And this is really kind of the theme and the motif of today. And it's this. Uh, Your farewell address can only bear the weight of the life you have lived. Come on now. Your last words that you're giving to your family, to your friends. The weight and the power of it can only be that of the life that you have lived. And 2 Timothy, when you read it, it's weighty. Oh, it's weighty. So let's get into it. Let's talk about Paul and Timothy a little bit. Uh, I, I advise you to, uh, to, to watch this. It's really well done, I thought. I don't know if it's like completely 100% historically accurate, but it's a good rendition uh, of the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Uh, it's called Paul, an Apostle of Christ. Has anyone ever seen that movie? came out a couple years ago. It's pretty good, right? Yeah, I thought it was pretty, 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 pretty legitimate. Now, Paul and Timothy, Timothy's relationship is unbelievable. Paul, uh, I think, would consider Timothy his closest friend. Uh, we know that they knew each other for at least 20 years. In the beginning of Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 16... Uh, during his second uh, missionary journey, uh, we come across a woman, Lois, and her daughter, Eunice. Okay? Uh, Lois uh, is Timothy's grandmother. Eunice is Timothy's mother. And there's also a young Timothy that is around. And they're all in a place called Lystra or Lystra. Uh, and there they receive the gospel. And so essentially, Paul was there at, at a young, when Timothy was at a young age, and he's raising them up in the faith. Um, they're so close that actually Timothy and Paul co-write, a lot of people forget this, they co-write six letters of the New Testament. Like Timothy is like his, his protege. It's like, this is the heir apparent kind of a thing. Okay? Um, they are really close. I mean, some of you ladies, and actually all of us guys wouldn't even really understand this, but they're so close that when Timothy is a young adult, or a young man, Paul's like, hey, Timothy, you really should be circumcised. Timothy, I imagine, is like, what? Yeah, you probably should be circumcised. 
Now, what's going on here? Uh, Timothy's father is Greek. His mother is Jewish. And Paul essentially says, look, I, I, I am an emissary to the Gentiles, but sometimes we forget that every time Paul goes into town, he first goes to the Jews. And he says, in order for the Jewish people to take you seriously, your mother's Jewish, your dad's Greek, you're coming with a Jewish gospel, you have to be circumcised so you have some type of uh, authenticity. So why don't we go down the street? I'll go with you. Like, can you imagine like, like buddies getting like, tattoos together, but he's like, no, let's go down and you have to be circumcised. There's probably a bonding that takes place during that moment. Now, to clarify the issues of circumcision, um, a similar situation happens with Titus. Uh, Titus is actually like asking if he should be uh, circumcised, and Paul says, no, you should not be circumcised. Your mom's Greek, your dad's Greek. In order for Jewish evangelism, Jews are not going to expect you to be circumcised, so don't be circumcised. So just to clarify, not that I'm preaching that you have to be circumcised, but Paul is preaching to Timothy he should be circumcised, not for salvation, but to bear a witness to the Jewish community. Okay, So you have a, an understanding of that. But talk about being bros after that. I can only, actually I can't imagine and I don't want to imagine. We also, we see in the, in the language itself, there's an intimacy that Paul has with Timothy. Uh, Romans chapter 16, he calls Timothy a co-worker. In 2 Corinthians and Colossians, he then calls him a brother. In Philippians 2, he calls him a son. And now, in 2 Timothy, in his departure from earth, he calls him my child. Right? It's like, this is it, bro. This is it, buddy. This is it. You're my child. My child in the faith, right? You raised him up. And it's so powerful, and it's so like, goodbye, my sweet son, brother, but child in the faith. And it's so powerful. And then all of this, of course, he's hopeful. Come one last time and bring my cloak, the Bible, and some paper that I can write on. Now, Paul is old at this point. He's relatively old. Older, at least old for the time. Uh, and he's in prison. And he's in prison in Rome, in fact. Um, and this is what it's all about. Uh, Paul is a prisoner in Rome. How Paul gets to be a prisoner in Rome is an unbelievable testament to the commitment of the gospel. Uh, it's really an, an, a commitment of understanding not loving your life literally unto death. Okay? And so for us to really give this farewell to Paul as a sermon series, we need to understand how we got to this place of writing 2 Timothy. This is unbelievable. So I hope you brought your Bibles. We're going to do a little bit of reading. Um, there's going to be a little bit of a history that's going on. And hence I wanted to move some things around and make sure that we can really do this justice. And I really want to do this justice because this is like the capstone. This is the end of Paul's life. One of the most powerful evangelists on planet Earth. Writing half the New Testament. Like he de deserves a little moment, right? So how does he get to uh, Rome? So we, we have a little bit of uh, insight here. 2 Timothy 4.16. Uh, in this part, departure, he, said, he writes it to Timothy and, and tells him. At my first defense, no one stood with me. But all forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So, what do we have here? This is Paul saying, 
this is what's just happened, essentially. I went before the mouth of the lion, and when I was there, all have forsook me. So let's break it down and explain what is going on. Paul is writing to Timothy about what it was like to stand before the emperor on trial. Okay, that's the context. So let's take a look. First he says, it's my first defense. Well, what's going on here? Paul is a Roman citizen, and then therefore he has the right to a trial. Not necessarily a speedy trial, but a trial. Right? As a Roman citizen, he has that right. But he also has the right... Actually, let's not get there yet. So he has that right, but what's also very powerful here is his first defense, which means that there must have been a... Like he would just say, it was my defense. I was at my defense. No, I was at my first defense. There's a second one that Paul's not yet talking about, but it was my first defense, and what happened? No one stood with me. They all forsook me. This is Paul. This is like mega daddy evangelist, super mega pastor of the Roman world. And not one congregant, not one brother or sister was willing to stand with him at trial. Now, what's going on here? As a Roman citizen, not only do you get a trial, but you're also allowed to bring people with you to support you and essentially be a character witness for you. But no one will go. No one will go with Paul, and Timothy's too far away. Why won't they go with him? They are scared to literal death. If I'm associated with this guy, Paul, what's going to happen to me? Look what they did when someone associated themselves or could associate themselves with Jesus. I mean, that's the same rhetoric of, of, of Peter. Like He's like, I don't want to be associated with him. I want to be crucified. I don't want to be associated with Paul. They may do something to me. Never fear, Paul says. Don't worry. The Lord stood with me. And the Lord strengthened me at that trial. Woo! And he says, you know what? He stood with me and he strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all of the Gentiles might hear. It's like, holy cow, Paul. This guy is standing before the emperor, essentially, and he has no one with him, but he rejoices that he's on trial. Why is he rejoicing that he's on trial? Because it's an opportunity to preach the gospel unto the Gentiles and unto the Roman emperor. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in jail? Can you imagine being in jail for not doing anything wrong, but for preaching the gospel? And now you rejoice in your cell because you're like, oh man, all the inmates get to hear the power of the gospel. Paul had family. Some of their family members are actually in the scriptures. Paul had family. I'm sure he would miss them. But he's rejoicing. Now what's really crazy here is this. It says, through all this, that he was delivered from the mouth of the lion. The lion. Who is the lion? The lion is Emperor Nero. Most likely the single most disturbing man that has ever existed. But at my first defense, I was delivered out of his mouth. Okay. The journey to see the lion, the journey to see Emperor Nero is amazing. 
Like, how does Paul get to the emperor? Uh, if you want to read it, it's Acts 25, chapter 25 to chapter 29. But for the sake of time, I'm going to, I'm going to condense it, right? I'm sorry, Acts 24 through 29. This is, this is essentially what happens. We go back uh, several years from the writing on this letter. Paul is um, preaching the gospel in the temple. All right, this isn't in the streets of Jerusalem. This is like in the courts of the temple. He's preaching the gospel. And the scriptures said, this is all from the scriptures in those chapters. Scriptures say a riot breaks out. This guy preaches the gospel and it's so effective and it's so moving and people are so impassioned and people are so upset that an actual physical riot breaks out in Jerusalem and around the, the temple courts. It's so bad that it says that a Roman commander heard of the riot and he gets 200 spearmen and horses to go in to break up the riot. All from Paul preaching the gospel. So now a Roman commander has to look at his, what's going on? Now, the Roman commander breaks it up. Why does he break it up? There's a couple of reasons. He's in charge of keeping the peace of, of Israel or Jerusalem. Also, he probably heard that it was this guy, Paul, because people knew of this guy, Paul. And Paul is a Roman citizen, so you cannot be messing with a Roman Citizen, it would be like us going to Afghanistan and we're walking down the street and a bunch of people start messing with us and the United States Marines are like, uh-uh, that's an American citizen. You can't be doing that. And they send out the Marine Corps like, nope, you're not going to do that. That would kind of be what it's like. Okay? Now, what's so amazing here is the, 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 the Roman commander grabs him, gets him, um, and, and, and it's like, holy cow, like, Paul could have been, like, killed at that moment. But what's so powerful here is that the Holy Spirit has a plan for Paul's life. And this is something I think we really need to speak into. We've got to speak into fear. If you're in the will of God, the Holy Spirit has a plan for your life. There is no reason to fear if you know you're in his plan. Nothing can take you off of his plan. Not E. coli in the romaine lettuce. Not the missing person that is in Alabama that we post on our Facebook wall just in case if she's up here. Like, I'm not trying to necessarily belittle these things, but what I'm saying is you have nothing to fear if you are in the will of God. Paul's in the will of God, though, and he goes to prison, but he's in the will of... And there's still nothing to fear. Now, your circumstance looks pretty rough. I'm in prison, but there's nothing to fear because you're in the perfect will of God. Come on, right? But the Roman commander now has Paul, and he's like, what the heck am I supposed to do? And so what he does here is he sends a letter to the Roman procurator of Judea, essentially the Roman governor. Uh, his name is Felix. Now, this is where God's got a plan. Felix is a Gentile. He's the Roman essential governor of Judea. Felix has a Jewish wife. And the commander goes to Felix, and Felix says, well, he's a Roman citizen. He deserves a trial before his actual accusers. 
is where we get the idea of like trial by jury. You have to provide evidence. You can't just have hearsay. He's a Roman citizen. We need evidence. We need his accusers. And so it's amazing. Felix does this really kind of cool thing. And he's like, bring the priests in. So the priests come in. Felix is there. Felix's wife is there is also in the story. And they say, Paul, defend yourself. And now he just spends like a chapter and a half preaching the gospel, telling him about the prophets, telling him about the law, telling him about his encounter on the Damascus Road. And people are there, and the priests get to hear the gospel, not for the first time, but for the second time. Plus, the gospel now goes to the Roman governor. Plus, the gospel goes to a high-ranking Jewish woman. It's amazing. That's how he defends himself, just preaching the gospel. Now, Felix is like, I don't know what the heck to even do with this guy. This is really weird. And he puts him in prison in Jerusalem, and he essentially forgets about him for two years. But Paul is not forgotten. God has a plan for his life. He's in this prison for almost two years, and there he writes most of the New Testament. Now, in the physical, it's like, holy cow, the, the experience of being in prison seems to be absolutely horrible and horrendous. But Paul uses the opportunity to write half of the New Testament. Like, it's a complete changing in the way that we think is what I'm saying. Like, this is really bad. This really stinks. Oh my gosh, I'm in prison. Paul's like, all right, I'm in prison. It's quiet. There's no one around. There's no one bugging me. I can just spend all day in the Word, all day praying, all day writing the New Testament. It's amazing. Now it gets even more amazing because now Felix kind of, I guess his, his time is done in Jerusalem. And there's a new guy, Porcius Festus. He's the new Roman procurator of Judea. And he hears about this guy, Paul. And he's like, what's the deal and who is this guy, Paul? All right, I'm the leader of the area. Bring him in. Brings Paul in again. Because he's a Roman citizen, he gets to get a what? A trial before his accusers. So now the priests come in again and they hear it for a third time. The gospel. Let's read Acts 25. This is before Festus. This is amazing by Paul. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So it's like, hey, bro, you know, we're bringing you forth. Uh, we we want to know if you are willing now to be tried. We've been sitting in prison for a long time. Are you willing to go to Jerusalem? I'll be there and we will do a trial. So Paul said, I stand right now at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know, for I am an offender, for if I am an offender, or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. Holy cow. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them, I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Now, the next piece here is now King Agrippa II, who is the king over Judea, who is Jewish, who has some authority, but not the same authority as the Roman authority. He is hanging out, literally, with Festus, 
And as a Jewish king, he's like, I want to hear about this guy, Paul, too. Can you bring him back in? So now he brings him in to before Agrippus. And now the high priests have to be brought in again. And now they're going to hear the gospel for a fourth time. We see this in Acts chapter 25, verse 22. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. And now Paul is brought forth and he preaches the gospel. Acts chapter 25, verse 27. Let's read a little bit. Uh, about what's going on here. I'm actually in the wrong spot. Give me a second. Sorry. Oh, here we go. Sorry. Acts chapter 26, verse 25. So he's before Festus and uh, King Agrippus. And actually in verse 24 for a little context. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. So Paul has just spent like two chapters explaining the prophets, explaining the law, preaching the gospel. And now the Roman is like, you are such a smart man, you've lost your marbles. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. So now he's like, hey, King Agrippus knows all of this Jewish stuff that I've just said that makes no sense to you as a Roman. But the king right next to you, he knows what this is all about. For I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice, his wife, and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. After he gives his defense and even goes right to the king, like, Do you want to believe in Yeshua, the Messiah? You know the prophets. You know our history. The Roman doesn't know it. Do you want to receive it? And the king is like, No. But then they have a private conversation. Like, this guy doesn't deserve death. Come on. Like, he's just, he's a lunatic. He's a religious loony bin. He doesn't deserve death. But I'm telling you, this should put chills down your spine. This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul knows exactly what he's doing. He's a brilliant man. He knows that before the law, he has done nothing wrong, deserving neither of chain nor of death. 
And he probably knows that any legal-minded man, like the Roman pure curator and the King Agrippus II, would look at his case and say, this is ridiculous, let the man go back home. But if he goes back home, the gospel has only gone to the king of Judea and only to two Roman pure curators and only the priest four times. But if I appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen, I will be able to preach the gospel before the lion himself. He chooses to stay in earthly chains so that he can move up the command and preach the gospel to even more of the Gentiles that he would never, ever have the ability to share with. Like, you're not going to go to the emperor's like, door. Hey, man, I want to tell you about Jesus. He's like, no, but if you're convicted of something, now he has to hear you. Come on, this is loving your life, not unto death. This is unbelievable. He knows what he's doing. He could be set free, or he could go see Nero. I'm telling you right now, what you need to get from this message is this. Holy Spirit has a plan for Paul's life, a plan worthy of a farewell address. I want to say this again. Holy Spirit has a plan for Paul's life, a plan worthy of a farewell address in 2 Timothy. Here's the man, the lion, Nero. This is a National Geographic did a, a, a genetic test on his, 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 his bones. Uh, and they produced what they believe, looking at also sculptures of what he would have looked like in the writings. We know that Nero had uh, reddish hair. And if you look at those eyes, man, it's like freaky. And this is where we go to PG-13, just so you know. Okay. Nero is emperor and he is sadistic. He kills his wife in order to marry another. His second wife becomes pregnant. He kills both of them because he's afraid of having a, someone who's going to be a, a, a next in line that may want to kill him later. So kills his wife, has a second wife, has a baby, kills them both. Then he goes and kills his own mother. He burns Rome down on purpose so that he can build it again into the way that he wants to have it. And when he burns Rome, he blames the Christians and says the Christians are the ones who did it. He then is going to send Christians um, to be mauled by dogs, but he wraps the Christians in animal furs so the dogs get the scent and they get all pumped up and they rip out the stomachs and everything of, of Christians. And probably by far the worst is this. Nero likes to hang out in his garden, in his palace at night, but there's a problem. There's no light. So he takes Christians has them dipped in oil, and has them burn alive while he's entertaining. Don't tell me that you're not going to suffer for the gospel. It's not all unicorns and rainbows. Can you imagine that? This guy is, 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 is he's like, he's, he's, he's evil incarnate, right? And Paul says, I want to appeal to this man. I want to appeal to the lion. Why? Because he wants to preach the gospel. And why? He tells us when he speaks to Timothy, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. My life is not my own. 
And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid upon me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. We have the worship team come on down, please, or Mario. He goes to, uh, to Rome, and I apologize for just laying all this out here, because it's, it's so unbelievably epic. It's so amazing. Uh, to get to Rome, he has to, from, from, from Israel, he has to take a boat, okay? And he takes a boat, and we see in uh, the scriptures, in uh, the book of Acts, that they're on their way, and the Holy Spirit has a plan, here he is on his way to appeal before Caesar. This sadistic guy, he's probably going to be killed. And he's on a boat and he's going that way. And the, there's a huge storm that comes. And the storm comes and everyone's freaking out on the boat. It says in the book of Acts, even these tough Romans, they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Right? And Paul says, never fear. My God has a plan for me. I am meant to see Nero. We are not going to die. And the boat gets shipwrecked. They all swim. This is amazing when you read in the book of Acts. And they all swim to an island, the island of Malta. So now here he is on the island of Malta with these Romans, with the people of Malta. And he's there. And literally it says that they go and build a fire because they are cold from the, from the water. And as Paul is picking up a piece of wood to make a fire, a poisonous snake bites him in the hand. And he just pushes it away. And everyone's like, oh my, you just got bit by a venomous snake. You're going to die. And he's like, I am not going to die because my God has a plan for me. I must go see Nero. I have a life that is worthy of a farewell address and the people are like oh my goodness what is up with Paul he has magical power he says no let me preach to you Jesus let me preach to you Jesus crucified and the people of Malta are astonished by Paul and Paul says let me lay hands on you and pray for you that are that are that are sick and the scripture said and many people of Malta and many Roman soldiers were healed and confessed the gospel Woo! Man, that's a little better than let me just go back to my house in Judea. My God has a plan for my life. And I'm here to tell you that God has a plan for you. Our God has a plan that is worthy of a farewell address to give to your kids. Our God has a plan for this little church that is worthy of a, an address to be given to the next generation. But in order to receive that weight of power, we have to love our lives not unto death like Paul. Finally, Paul, finally Paul gets to Rome. And he's there for two years awaiting to see Nero probably for a second time. And when he's in Rome and when he's in a prison, it says in the book of Acts, many Jews and Romans come to hear Paul, and yet they still receive the gospel. You see what's going on here, people, is this. Paul does not await death. He lives. And when he lives, he lives a life worthy of the power of the gospel. And in this context, he writes to Timothy and gives him a farewell address and says, but if I can see you one more time, please, please bring my cloak. And in his farewell address, he, 
He speaks to his son. He speaks to his child of faith. And he says this, Timothy, stir up the gift that has been placed upon you through the laying on of hands. You're called and you've been prayed for to be a teacher and a preacher and a pastor. Stir up that gift. Don't let the gift go away. You have to stir the flame of the Spirit of God. And I have to say this to you before I die, brother. Stir it up. Stir up the the gift that God has given you. Woo! I feel like the Lord is saying that unto us today. Stir up the gift. He says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the preaching. Look at me, Timothy. Look at me in my chains. Look at me before Nero. I am not ashamed. Do likewise. Never, ever, ever be ashamed of the power of the gospel. Timothy, endure in grace. Endure in the grace of the Lord. Timothy, don't be a child. Be a man. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, put away the childish things. Put away the lusts of the flesh. Put away the lusts of your youth, Timothy. Just put it away and be a man. So powerful. Preach the word, or rather, before preach the word, perilous times. This one speaks so loud. It says, Timothy, perilous times are ahead for the church. He says there's going to be people in the church. Please listen to this. This is so important. He says this in 2 Timothy as a farewell. He says, says, Timothy, before I go, I need to let you know, the Holy Spirit is showing me this, Paul is saying, that when I go and when we go forward to the power of the gospel, that there are going to be perilous times ahead. There will be people who show a form of godliness, but, but, but deny the power of God. They're morally virtuous. They do the social gospel, but they don't believe in the power of, of, of resurrection life. They don't believe that you lay hands on the sick and you demand for them to be healed. Not ask for them to be healed, but demand and speak it forth with the authority of the power of the gospel. That's what's going to happen, Timothy. So don't go down that path. Preach the word. Be in sound doctrine, Timothy. And so now, after all of this, and there's so much more to read in 2 Timothy, but after all of this, after going before four leaders, one the most powerful man on earth, and now after writing half of the New Testament, and now after starting churches throughout the Roman Empire, now after all of that, At the end of his farewell address, at the end of his life, he says, For I am being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is hand, but I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then he says his goodbyes to make sure you say hello to these people. And then when he's in his prison and he's writing this and he's reflecting all this, he, he closes the scroll. He seals the scroll and he sends it to his child in faith in Timothy. And according to historians and scholars, now within a matter of weeks, the announcement is given. Paul, you are to be beheaded. Not crucifixion because you're a Roman citizen. You are to be beheaded. The, tri- the crime? Preaching the gospel. An offense to power structures. Preaching the gospel. An offense to Roman authority. And now, it's time.
Probably here's the soldiers on the stone. Walking down to his jail cell. Opening the big oak door. They grab him. They walk him out. Scholars say that uh, for this type of execution, it would have been done, uh, I believe it was the southeast entrance of the city. You were not allowed to do executions in the city. So it's a little bit of a walk. And they walk him out. And he's brought here. Um, scholarship says this is not the location of Paul's tomb, but this is most likely the location of the execution because we know it took place right around here. So what is this? This right here is the only pyramid north of Egypt. How weird. It's a tomb. It's a tomb to a guy by the name of Cestius. Cestius was a somewhat little-known governor of Egypt. And somewhere between like 5 or 10 BC, in commemoration of his time in, in Egypt, his family builds him a tomb in the likeness of the pyramid. I can't even imagine being Paul. Really? Back to the pyramids? 400 years of slavery in Egypt? Pyramids, the sign of slavery? You're bringing me back here? Really, Lord? This is kind of funny. But not. I believe Paul looks up and he laughs. Oh man, slavery, Egypt, Israelites, Passover, redemption. And I believe, and this isn't the scripture, but I just believe looking at this, he's looking at that pyramid and all this is going on and the Roman soldier is like, here you go. And as he lays his head on the table, he hears the sword be pulled out of the scabbard. He looks over at the pyramid. And in his spirit, I know he's like, I am no longer a slave of Egypt. I am no longer a slave unto sin. Your blood has made me a bondservant, a slave unto righteousness, a slave unto Christ. For truly, he could say, for I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid upon for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me to on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so I say unto you today, like Paul on that day, your farewell address can only bear the weight of the life that you have lived. Why don't we stand? Father, I thank you for the witness and the testimony and of the life of Paul, the apostle. Father, I thank you for his life. I thank you for the anointing that you put on him. Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness of that saint in you. 
And Father, I pray that as we close out the sermon series on Paul, Lord, that we ourselves could be impassioned and motivated to live a life that is worthy of such a farewell address. Lord, that we would be a people that say, I want the weight of your glory on my life like it was on Paul's life. Lord, that we would be a people that say, we're not going to love our lives unto death, but we count it all as foolishness. Lord, that we'll be a people that say, I want to be a slave unto righteousness. I want to be a slave unto Christ. Father, I pray to people right now that they can believe that their life has value and their life has purpose and their life has an anointing on it. A life that is worthy. A life that is worthy of the power of the gospel. A life that is worthy of an epic farewell address that says, Lord, I've lived my life in accordance to your love, in accordance to your power. I've loved my life not until death, but I have given you it all. I've decided to put away the chains of sin, but adopt the chains of righteousness to be not just a son and to be not just a disciple, but, but to be a slave unto Christ. Jesus. Come on, I want to invite. I want to invite this message to come into your spirit right now. Come on, we're, we're even still a little earlier right now. I don't want to miss this moment. I'm telling you right now, the Lord wants to raise up apostles. The Lord wants to raise up Pauls. The Lord wants to raise up Timothys and Loises and Eunices.